right. So we want to introduce our very special guest for this episode. My friend, Calvin Walker. Calvin J. Walker is an award-winning artist and activist. He's the CEO and founder of Watchmen Media Productions. Over the last decade, he's created and collaborated on a multitude of projects as a writer, singer, director, and producer, multi-hyphenate. Most recently, he contributed to an anthology compiled by Chuck Brown of Expected End Entertainment. Nightmare in America is a collection of personal stories and essays about the experiences of Black men in America. Calvin also serves on the advisory board of Art with Impact. He's a husband and a father of three. Let's give a warm bro gifting in black. Welcome to Calvin J. Walker. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Calvin, for being here. Welcome to the Broke Gifted in Black space. Um, We hope that you leave gifted and just black and less broke. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's start out with some (laughs) prayer. Okay, so Calvin, um, I know that you are Nikki's friend, and I know you, like, through everyone is like a couple degrees of separation. So like we're one degree of separation actually, but tell us about yourself. Tell um, our listeners about yourself and how did you get into writing and directing? Um, Yeah, let's start there. Sure. Um, Well, my name is Calvin. As Nikki has already said, uh, I am a 33-year-old Black man living in Dallas, Texas. I don't live in Dallas. I live in a small town next to Dallas. But if I told you the name of the town, you wouldn't know it and you wouldn't care. So I just say it's from Dallas. You know, yeah, like yeah. everybody else. I understand. <laughs> um, I, I got into this when I was maybe like four or five um my dad is a history teacher and he was also a playwright um i was raised very very conscious and so i was woke before woke was woke while all the woke folks were sleeping i was up with my coffee um and he was always really really aware of making sure that young people understood about blackness um and where we came from because in schools they weren't teaching black history Right. Like it was, you know, February and it was only the little posters that you buy at the teacher supply store. They had like, you know, Harriet Tubman and, you know, Frederick Douglass. And then like, you know, the portraits of all the happy slaves doing happy slave work in the fields. Um, And so he was always really conscious of making sure we knew, you know, where we came from, who we were, that we knew that, you know, we were able to go through stoplights because of a black person, you know, that we knew we ate our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because of a black person. Like, you know, he was so conscious. And so he did all of that and he made plays for his school. that he was teaching it and he produced these plays um and we would get out of school and put on our good old african garb for these plays there are pictures that will not be released to the public they're going to be burned um <laughs> we might burned. put them in the show notes guys no I'm no kidding. no 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 um but but he he taught us all of that, um, and he exposed me to Langston Hughes very early in my my childhood. Um, so from the very first moment that I read Harlem, I was just like, oh, 
this is it. Like, this is the life. And so I started writing poetry. When I was in fourth grade, I wrote, directed, starred in, and produced my first play. Um, oh, it was a Christmas Perry. play. Oh, Come on. Perry. Come on. <laughs> I, I, I recently moved to a, um, to a predominantly white school because uh, the school that I was at um, in my first couple of years, it wasn't challenging me uh, and I needed something different. Uh, and so I was like, hey, I'd like to move to a school that has a little more of a challenge for me personally. And it ended up being a predominantly white school. Uh, and so I was the token for, uh, you know, a couple of years. I was the well-spoken, um, uh, literate black person there, and they really enjoyed my presence being the, the grand token that I was. Oh, uh, you, don't, you don't sound black. I, I know. I sound you know, like yeah. a, a white lady in her no. 20s. No, you, you have a very NPR <laughs> podcast. Like, NPR, if you're listening, um, if you want to give all three of us jobs. Listen, on, please, you know, just, please. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, like, I, I don't hear some 20-year-old white woman, though. I hear a, a black man. Like, you sound, like you already, I know you're 33, and I hope you don't take this as an insult, but you mm. already sound like a wise grandfather. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know what no, I mean? I've, I've been told that most of my life. It's just like, you, you've been here before, haven't you? I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe. I don't, it's, there's a chance. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I sounded, um, I, I spoke um, I spoke proper English, whatever that is, because we should discuss that uh, our version of English is extremely bastardized from the mm. King's English. And mm. so when we talk about things being proper, we have to realize that we're discussing the proper version of a bastardized language and so we're all speaking a broken language and just because that that version of brokenness is preferred over ebonics or over you know patois or over any kind of creole language like that's crazy to me i'm sorry i digress so but i wanted to to bring um our culture to my school i wanted to talk about kwanzaa I wanted to talk about the things that I had learned and that my, my, my white classmates didn't know anything about. And so I wrote it and I asked my teacher, you know, can I do it? And she said, yeah. So I made this thing. Um, and from then on, it was just I, I knew that I'd write um, because writing was the way that I was changing people's hearts and minds about, um, about me. Uh, and at first, it was me personally, but I realized my whole life, my writing has been to help people who are not Black to see someone that is Black as human. Um, and it wasn't necessarily proving anything. Like, I wasn't trying to prove that I was worth it. It was simply saying, look through life through my gaze. Um, and, and so that's, what I, that's how I started writing, um, directing I used to be an actor a long time ago, many moons ago. Uh, and I remember after finishing my first um, my community theater play up in Denton, I went to UNT. Uh, I went, did not graduate, but I did go to UNT. Um, I, I remember doing ragtime and getting off of ragtime uh, and saying, okay, Calvin, you really want to do TV film, you should really start, you know, putting yourself up there for that. 
and I got a, there was a, an independent film that I submitted for, and the producer was like, oh my God, you'd be great for Thug Number Two. And I'm mm. just like, Thug mm. Number Two. Mm. I really, I had you my eye like on. Number Two. You don't look like Thug Number One. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm intimidating and I'm black. Uh, and so, and I'm like, I, there was a role, um, Man at the Counter. Man at the Counter number one was very layered and nuanced. I, I, I'd like to be Man at the Counter number one. Cheetos, please. Cheetos, please. Mm. Cheetos, mm. please. Like, I, can, I can bring so much nuance to Man at the Counter number one. Can I please be him? Um, and when I realized that I was not going to be Man at the Counter number one, I realized that um, if I wanted to keep acting, I would have to create things for myself. Um, and so I began to write things for people like me. Um, and I wrote this thing, a friend of mine directed it. We got all this feedback. And I said, I, I want to I try to steer it as well next time. And so there began my journey um, directing. It was just a, a desire to see, to see if I had something to say, um, or more, more specifically, to see if what I had to say could stand up in the medium of film. I knew that I could write it, but I wanted to know if I could show it, um, mm. and that became the journey. Okay, so you mentioned that you went to UNT, but you did not graduate. So. Yes would you care to share why or did you go to another program and finish or was there um i, I went to a job uh that was the program that i went to next you. You went to life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> listen back to life and back to reality mm -hmm. uh, so i i uh i got married um, my sophomore year, I uh, found my wife and we got married and uh, working at that time, the idea of work plus marriage plus school just didn't feel feasible. Like going, if I could do it all over again, I know that I could find a way, but at 20 years old, it's just like, okay, don't get a job. Um, and I went and I got a job and I did not return back to school. Um, I just kind of kept working hard for, you know, the last 13 years or so. But, but that's the reason why. Um, and I, I think more so UNT didn't have what I need. Um, I, I went to UNT initially to be a singer. That was going to be the thing. I was going to study um, jazz vocal at UNT. They have an excellent music program. It's incredible. Like it's it's world renowned. And so I went in for my audition, um, and I sang this piece in French, and I sang the Lord's Prayer because I, um because we all you have to audition with classical pieces, and then once you get into the vo the voice department, then you can audition for jazz. And so I went in, I did my audition, uh, and I got the notes back. You know, oh Calvin, we really enjoyed you, but your voice is so dark. We don't necessarily know if you know your 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 tone is in line with uh, our program. 
because I was I was a tenor one or a, a high tenor um, and uh, a counter tenor, kind of a low alto. It was a high male voice, and it wasn't the pretty, you know, airy kind of falsetto-y thing that they really enjoyed. Um, it was dark. It was um, uh, Anita Baker for dummies. Um, and they didn't care for that. And so I ended up finding anthropology while I was there, and I fell in love with it. But they didn't have a strong um, African-American studies program. Like they didn't have um, a Morehouse program. They didn't have a UCLA program. So like there was maybe two classes for African-American studies, which is what I was going to go into. Like, you don't have what I really want to study here. So that, that also kind of... Um, kept me from fighting to stay in school because I knew that the school that I was at um, and the surrounding schools didn't really have the programs to facilitate, you know, the kind of education that I wanted to pursue. Got you. Interesting. So for the bonus episode, we're going to have you sing, but we're going to move on. Oh, not today with that. Just a little, just, you know, just go ahead and practicing. Uh, yes, we definitely want the French one. I've heard the Lord's Prayer. It's beautiful, but, you know. Isn't it beautiful? It's, I need to hear this French, but okay, let's move on with the interview. My bad, my bad. Because once people say they sing, I'm like, Oh, okay. Oh. You know, I can girl. You know it. Okay, Nikki. Let's move on. Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that ain't my name. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you're, um, we talked already about you being a multi-hyphenate talent, uh, but a lot of your work revolves around writing. Um, so what do you think makes someone a writer and, and what piece did you, have you written that made you say, you know what, I'm a writer. This is, this is my thing. This is my jam. Um, what do I think makes someone a writer? I think, okay, so you guys are going to laugh. I think writing words makes you a writer. What makes you a good writer is understanding story. Oh, I think okay. anybody can be a writer, right? Um, but I think a good writer understands story and they understand not necessarily the right format or the right um, formula to what we perceive story to be. Like the, It's not about three-act structure. It's about being able to tell something compelling from beginning to end, you know, being able to identify a journey um, and to really, really create something that, that makes it engaging to follow and something that's worth following. Um, I think what happens with a lot of um, writers who are... Uh, who are coming into their craft, um, coming into their own, they feel like, because I, I felt like this, I wrote this dope, you know, past dialogue, it's so cool, I'm a writer. And you, you watch it and it's just like, okay, that was a great conversation. Now, where's the rest of the story? 
So we've seen 10 minutes of great conversations. Nothing is really telling a story. There's nothing to follow. You leave asking what you've watched, even though you can appreciate that there was some, you know, witty dialogue or there was, you know, a really, really touching moment. Um, you know, there was some nice wordplay, good alliteration, um, but they've not told a story. Uh, and, and so I think a good writer is someone who not only understands, you know, how to use words wisely, but they understand how to create a story um, and how to use their words to support that story. Gotcha. And so the second part, was it the very first thing that you wrote that Mm. you were like, I'm a writer? The play? I don't know. I thought that's hard. And that when I when I saw that question, I was just like, oh, how to answer this? Because I I think I am, and Nikki knows this. I'm constantly going back and forth with myself. And he's not a writer. He's not. He's like, I'm not a writer. I'm not a. See, dancer. and I'm that's not. something that so many writers. I'm in a writers group, and everyone's like, you know, new people that are like who don't do it for a job, who are you know not getting paid by some company or institution, are like, well, I'm kind of a writer. I'm not really, and like, and I'm like, what? At what point do you call yourself a writer? Like you have written things, you have written films, you have written plays. So Mm -hmm. at what point do you like stand in your truth and be like, I'm a writer? I think it's the point that you give yourself permission. Right. You you have to give yourself permission to to say yes, I'm that good. Yes, I have um I have that skill. Yes, I can be, you know, stamped as a writer. Um, and I've been blessed for, you know, I have, I have beautiful friends who don't BS me. Um, and I think as a creative, you have to have people who are around you, who love you enough to tell you that it sucks. See, you, Nikki, you have that's to have why people. I told you you can't sing. Go ahead. But you have to have people around you that you know that aren't afraid to say, you know, this sucks. Um, and they, they say it because they believe that there's more in you, uh, and they don't want you to go outside with your underwear on, you know, over your pants. Um, and I've had friends who've been who've, you know, Calvin, you're you are good enough. This is your thing. You should, you need to do this. Like, this is your call. And I'm just like, yeah, but hmm, have you seen this? You know, like that's writing. Have you seen what, like Ava DuVernay is my imaginary mentor. Um, in my mind, she is, you know, uh, everything. Um, like, I can't do that yet. I can't, I can't write like that yet. I can't write like D Rees yet. I can't write like Barry yet. And so I think like there's, even though you might be skilled, because I didn't go to school for it, right? Like, this is just something that kind of, I, from a young age, I was doing. And over time, I watched thousands of videos on the prestigious YouTube university about how to screenwrite, you know, I read books, I read articles, um, and so I'm self-taught. So I'm always fighting imposter syndrome, always fighting, you know, do I really deserve to be in the room? Do I really deserve to call myself a writer? Um, 
you know, am I, do I, am I really, really accredited, right? Or am I validated in calling myself that? But I think the first time that I wrote something and I was just like, you know what, Calvin, this, this work does belong on stage. Like it belongs in people's, you know, uh, you know, it belongs, it's supposed to be seen. It was my first play as an adult. Um, it was called Water from a Rock. And it was about this woman who, uh, well, this couple who lost their child um, very early due to a stray bullet. Um, and every year, the woman would go to her son's graveside on, her, on his birthday um, and have ice cream with her son. Um, but the father could never bring himself to do it. And on the 18th um, birthday of the child, uh, the father finally goes to the graveside and they have, you know, ice cream with, uh, you know, with their son. And the moment that I wrote, there was a monologue there. Um, and this woman is complaining about the fact that the ice cream is melting. Because they put an ice cream sandwich on, you know, their son's uh, headstone. Uh, and she's complaining about the ice cream melting and, and how it always aggravates her. That she understands that he can't eat the ice cream. Um, and this melting ice cream, this dissolving thing that once was and is now turning into something else is a constant reminder that her child isn't there. When I finished writing that, I was like, Calvin... Dad, never. That's good. That's good stuff. You know it is. And um, and I got to just sit back and say, you know what? In this moment, I feel like if I can continue to make moments like this, I can be a writer. Okay. That was good. That was good. And the um, I like that. You know what we. We talked about imposter syndrome with our last guest, and I think one of the best advice she gave was wherever you are right now, you're supposed to be mm -hmm. like you deserve to be there. And I think also as people of color, black people, women, um, and this is nothing against anyone else, but like we are always the ones who suffer this imposter syndrome. I'm listening to this podcast called Very Presidential, and I'm like, there have been so many mediocre white men who have been president of the United States, and they're like, I can do it. <laughs> There's one that's even less than mediocre. Yes. We have a below average like one who's like, I'm the best thing. And, yeah. it's, just, and it's just so funny every time Bigly. I meet. <laughs> I meet talented black people or talented women um, and we always just have that doubt. So yeah. Calvin, in the words of Neko Sweka, where you are right now is where you're supposed to be. Mm. That's beautiful. That's good. Mm. So with that, um, your writing has um, seemed to have served, as you, as you said, as a gateway to directing. So mm -hmm. do you feel that you need to direct your written work to get that story across that you envisioned? Or have you been able to release your, your words to someone else? So I feel like I need 
to write written work that gives me a paycheck. And so um, if if you want to pay me to write something and you want to direct it, I will never have to see it. Okay. Um, all I need to see is it clear my PayPal, clear my cash app, clear my account, clear my Zelle, however you want to pay me. Um, to make you broke. In Jesus' name. Like I used to be precious with it, but not anymore because I, I realized that if I really want to have a career, um, like in television, there's a People, those the people in those writers' rooms, they're not directing their episodes. They're writing and they're passing it off to somebody else. And so you can't be precious with the work. All you can do is do the best work that you can do with it, and then pray to God that somebody sees the intention and someone of a like mind has the director's eye to bring your intention to manifestation. Um, but at the end of the day, please run me my coins. Um, but I don't. If I'm writing something personal, nobody else is directing it. Like if I'm writing it for me, nobody else is directing it. Um, but if it's, you know, for hire, sure. What you want me to write about? Yeah, yeah. So there's a difference, so there's a dif- difference for you then. So there's these pieces that do mean something to you that mm. you don't want to let go, that you mm. have to um, see, see across the finish line. Absolutely. And there, well, there, there, there have been pieces that I've written for my friends, mm-hmm. um, friends who are directors, because I know their point of view. Um, and they haven't asked me to write them. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, it would be amazing to see this person do this story because mm-hmm. I know they get it. And mm-hmm. so I'll write it and I'll ship it over. Um, and they often get it. And when I see them, it's like, yes. I couldn't do that. I don't feel as a director, that's my language. That's not the thing that I do personally, but I know that you do it. Um, And so I want to get the story out, but I think that you'd better steer it. You'd better serve it. So you serve it in that way. Um, But if it's something that I feel really, really connected to, it's something that I'm I'm really seeing clearly. Because when I'm writing, I'm often directing as I'm writing. and, and, you know, Nikki has seen probably more scripts for me than she um, desires to say. Uh, but my my description lines are very, very specific. Uh, and so oftentimes I believe, uh, and, and not to toot any horns, I think actors can come if they've done their back work. Uh, and we've we've done our, our development work together. They can come to set after reading my scripts and, and have a sense of the direction of the character because it is so specific. So when I'm writing things, I'm writing them like a director. Uh, I don't necessarily have to use too much of a storyboard because I'm storyboarding inside of my script. Like, this is what I want it to look like. This is what I want it to be on. This is the movement that I want to, that I want to see in frame, but I'm giving it to the character. Uh, and so when we're talking about things as far as, you know, what that, what that means visually, I can easily go back to on page seven da, 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 when it says this, this is what I want. Here's my reference picture. Let's do this. Got it. So working with Calvin is work, but it's easier work if you do your work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say to, you know, Calvin is not, he is an actor's director. So he um, is very um, open to discussion. 
mm-hmm. or, you know, the interpretation of the character. He's not that that guy that's like, no, this is what I see and this is what it has to be. So yeah. very collaborative in his work. And I, you know, I appreciate him in that as well. But yeah, come to the set doing your work. Hmm. Do and you'll be good. Do your jab. Take us your jab. And I got, so this is my thing. Like, look, I don't, I don't understand directors that aren't actors, directors, and maybe because I'm an, I used to be an actor, right? I think that every person on that set has a job to do, um, and as a director, my job isn't to dictate your job; it is to simply steer what you bring to the table into the direction of the vision of the piece. And so as an actor, if you've done all this back work, you've, you've built this internal life of this character, you know, you've, you've built this world for yourself to live in as, as this character. Uh, I think that it's a shame to have people who aren't, you know, asking, um, asking actors, hey, can I please step into your world? Can our worlds merge so you can understand what I'm seeing and um, and I can understand what you're seeing? And maybe we maybe there is a pillow on that couch, okay? But instead of being pink, how, how about it be orange? And this is why I think that it should be orange. So you can keep your pillow, but I can keep my color. And so that, like, there's this really organic relationship where the actor feels like everything that I've been doing in preparation for this film has not gone out of the window just because you don't get it. And all the prep that you've been doing doesn't go out of the window just because I see something differently. The best work that you see um, are when two artists who mutually respect each other are having conversations about how to best serve the work in ways that both serve them. Just add water and stir. Mm-hmm. Add water and stir. I love it. So you you have your own production company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how how did how was uh, Watchmen Media Productions birthed? And like, what are what are some of your greatest wins and biggest challenges when growing your company? Yeah, so Watchmen was birthed from seeing Facing the Giants and all the Kindred Brothers movies. Um, I used to be really, really. At one point in time, I thought that I was going to be like a faith film person. That was going to be what I did. And I was going to do edgy faith films. I was going to do, you know, raw faith film. Um, Because what I saw just didn't feel authentic to me. It didn't feel honest. Uh, And so I wanted to to create something for the faith space. That's where Washington comes from. It comes from Ezekiel 30. One, um, about the watchman on the wall. Uh, mm. And if you see something but don't say something, then the blood of those who are harmed will be on your hands. Um, and it's this idea of I can't see something in society and not say something. And then when somebody gets hurt, not feel like I'm not being accountable for what I saw. And so I believe that film is like this constant or art period. It's a constant commentary on what's happening in society. And we as artists have this perch 
right? Like we have this um, ability to see things differently and the ability to alert people of things in order to stop the harm that is coming their way. And if we don't do that, then we are held accountable for what we saw but didn't say. Um, and so I wanted to create this space for that. Um, and kind of over the years, it became something uh, a little more complex than that. Um, it became this thing uh, that that is activism, um, that is spiritual, that is black. It's black. I, I love white actors. I've done some things with white actors. I, I, I appreciate doing that work. One of my favorite pieces is this piece about autism called He's Special with um, Nikki and I's dear friend Eric Hansen and one of my good friends, um, Kristen. Um, and it was, huh? Kristen Key? Yes, Kristen Key. Um, brilliant actors, both of them. Uh, but I, I wanted to, to, to create work that centered Black people um, because I felt like and as I grew spiritually, I understood that activism was ministry of its own. I understood that Jesus was an activist, that the fact that this man was Say talking Say that again, to, please, Lord. Jesus was an activist. When you think about it, like, think about um, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It was not only a critique on hospitality, it was a critique on race. Um, when you think about um, the the parable of the the rich wise the rich wise ruler, it was a critique on um, on uh, on the caste system, on socioeconomic justice. When you think about you know the uh, uh, about Mary Magdalene, when you think about heck, any of the women in the Bible, when you talk about um, equity for women, when you talk about feminism, you find all of that in the Bible. You find Jesus being an activist for all people. And how was he an activist the most? Parables. What are parables? Short stories. What are short stories? Art. Through art, he was I an activist. Go away, Nikki. Go away. Nikki, we're not going <laughs> to do this right now. We're not doing it today. We're not doing it today. Okay. Um, That'll be in the bonus episode. No, okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think he I think he was an activist and and I began to to approach my work in that way um, because I, I remember the first time, the first couple of pieces, I, I I would not allow profanity on set. I wouldn't allow profanity in my scripts. I just couldn't. And so like, I would write the um, the dashes. You son of a dash. Okay, so I have to hop right on the line. You son of a, you stop it right there. So like, don't let her say the word, okay? We're going to just step on the line so she can't say the word because we're not going to curse. And I was on set with an actor. And poor baby, he was really trying. He was like, you son of a... And the actress wasn't stepping in time. And he was like, Kevin, it just feels so weird. So he went to try to shout one more time, okay, we're not going to cuss because we don't want to offend anybody, you know? And and I'm a Christian and I can't, can't say those kinds of words. No. Bad, bad Christian. Ooh. And so, um, so I, we, we tried that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I said, say the word. Just say it. I'm sick of it. Say the word. And he said it, and it felt so much better. And in that moment, I was liberated because I felt like I wasn't giving my characters their full selves. 
because I was I was censoring them. I was editing them, but I was saying that I was telling their truth. There's no way that you can tell somebody's truth if you're editing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, from that place, I really started exploring what do I want to say? Like, what have I been too afraid to say because I felt like I'll be offending somebody? What have I been too afraid to say because I felt like they couldn't handle that, um, being, you know, Christian? And then it, it turned into something, you know, I won't say wildly different, but it definitely opened up um, the stories that I told. Um, and it opened up kind of my my approach to, uh, to narrative work. Mm. Awesome. That's, I mean, that's real. That's very, very real because not all characters are you, right? Not every yeah. character is afraid to curse. Yeah. And maybe not even every character is a Christian. So, so, I mean, that that's real. Um, so we're going to transition a little bit because you were recently announced as the newest member of the Arts with Impact Advisory Board. Hey! Yay! So can you tell us a little about, about the organization and what role you play on the board? Sure. I'm so excited about this. Um, <clears throat> so... I got involved with Art with Impact last year, uh, actually. They do a, a yearly grant program where um, you, they have uh, two prompts uh, dealing with mental health. And last year, they focused on the LGBTQIA community and mental health, and also the culture of toxic masculinity and mental health. Uh, and so I, I went to ladder. And I don't do grants because, you know, I'm the kid who went to the fair and I never want a stuffed animal. Like no matter how many balls I threw little milk jugs, I never won one. I was always very bitter about that. Um, so I don't do grants usually because I, I just I have like this fear of losing. Um, but a friend of mine was like, you have to do this. Like, this is so this is literally you. This is this is you um, in a grant. Because uh, a lot of the work that I that I do, I try to center um, people dealing with um, emotional trauma, um, and I've been really focused on centering Black men with mental health problems in my work, um, or with mental health struggles or challenges. I don't like problems, um, and so I did this thing, and it was this really weird art film about. Black men who grow flowers out of their hair and how flowers represent vulnerability uh, and how these men are plucking the flowers from their scalp um, and how we are taught uh, intergenerationally to not be vulnerable and how we harm ourselves in order to fit into what people consider is masculine and male. So I did this grant and I'm like, nobody's going to want to see this made. <laughs> it's going to be awful. They're going to say no. Well, they said yes. Um, and so we started making the film. <laughs> and that was a Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That was a rough process. Um, we had problems in pre-production, problems in production, problems in post-production, to the point that I got my final cut. Um, of what I thought my film was going to be in March. 
Um, and I wasn't happy at all. Uh, my editor's nephew or cousin passed away, so she could no longer finish working on revisions. Um, and I was like, this is going to be a travesty. You know, this is my one time to impress these, um, you know, these people. Uh, and they're going to see this movie and they're going to hate it. Um, and so I was like, okay, what can you do to salvage this? So, <laughs> so I, I broke the film apart. Like it was like this really, really interesting uh, three act narrative where you were seeing um, a son, a father and a grandfather, all of which have flowers in their hair, all of which are dealing with trauma and the women in their lives are coping with um, the fact that their husbands can't love themselves as they are. And that lack of self-love is causing issues in their relationship. So like this grand thing, right? And I was like, oh, this is trash. What am I, what am I gonna do? So I wrote a poem called um, uh, Damn the Beautiful Black Man. And I had a friend of mine in Florida record the, voice, the vocal on his iPhone um, and send it to me. And so I was like, we're gonna make this poem. And so we cut everything up. We put pictures in, like it was insane. We cut it in a week, uh, you know, of what it ended up becoming. And I sent it to them and I was like, oh my God, they're going to hate it. They're going to hate it. They're, they're never going to call me for anything ever again in life. Um, so but they, they got, the, they got the, the clip and I got an email back and I was like, I don't want to read this email because I just have this feeling that it's going to say, Calvin, um, what a mess. What a... <laughs> What an awful mess you've made. Thank you for your time. Please find a way to refund us the money for the grant because <laughs> we don't want you here. Um, and I didn't. And they got it. Um, and they enjoyed it. And so we premiered it. We did this online festival uh, with panels and I got to talk about blackness and um, structural whiteness with white people. It was amazing. <laughs> um, and maybe a month later, they asked me to come on to their advisory board. And so um, Art with Impact is a, an organization based in California uh, that uses art um, namely short films, uh, to uh, focus in on mental health issues. And they take their short films across the country, to colleges across the country, to engage with high schoolers and college students um, about mental health using art to, uh, to steer the conversation. Um, so I get an opportunity to, to hear new curriculum and give my thoughts on things, to, to watch some of the films, to, um, to get my thoughts on those, to see which, um, which, are, uh, which serves you know, um, the purpose of the organization the best. So it is, it is a dream. Um, I love mental health. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate for it. And I kind of like art. So like being able to be um, just a little bit, <laughs> you know, being, being able to be in that position um, with such an amazing organization was just an honor. Yeah, just merging those two things that you love. Um, it's got to feel really, really good. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're based in California and you're yes. based in Dallas. Roughly. Um, the Lord, roughly. Yeah, roughly. <laughs> roughly. <laughs> um, 
How, how do you, I mean, do you find it difficult to create in a city that isn't a hub, you know, for entertainment? I mean, do you find that people in Dallas are, dare I say, hobbyists? So, Not the people in this podcast. I just want to point that out. Uh, I, just, no. I want everybody to know that I have no, no, um, I don't believe that uh, this Don't came from anybody besides Nikki. So Nikki wrote this question, you all. I want you all to know that. I want you she to sure know did. this. I want you to know this. The she shade. wrote this question to the base shade. me. The she shade. did. Um, <laughs> Dallas is interesting. Um, it is. Though. Dallas is it's interesting, um, specifically Black Dallas. And if Black Dallas is listening, y'all, please don't hate me. I know I love y'all. Um, I've been told on several occasions to pack my bags and go to L.A., um, to pack my bag Move. and go to ATL. Um, Move. Don't go to New York, though, because, like, I mean, you have to, like, prostitute yourself and have a family, and that gets really tricky when you're, like, you're a male escort with a family. That's a lot. I feel that's a lot. because I moved to New York, but that's but, okay. But, he, but she didn't move with a, a spouse and three kids. I did it. I was young. I was 20-something. I was really, yeah. really young. Okay. See, I mean, like, I can, I can, you know, wait some tables and such, you know. Um, like, I can, I, can, I can find ways to work to support myself. You know, I can ask myself, but with, you know, a whole tribe called Quest, um, you know, it's a, it would probably lead to prostitution or solicitation, something in that, that area. Very illegal. But I don't want to do that. Of right? something. Foot yeah, fetish something. Yeah. I have great feet, but it's, that's not the point of this. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I, I can't, right? Like my... Um, I don't do writing full time quite yet, though. Thank God it's picking up. Um, that I, I'm thankful that I'm I'm now able to get a job, right? And I'm not. I used to go to like applying at places and sitting out writing samples like crazy. And nobody contacted me back. To people call me and say, "Hey, you know, Calvin, can you do you have time to write this? Um, you know, Calvin, do you have the space to write something like?" Sure. What's the budget? Um, and, you know, being asked to direct and it's like, yeah, great. What's the budget? Um, what's the budget is a very important um, question. But working. Yeah. <laughs> so so to is. your question, as far as Dallas is concerned, I, I think that there are the ratio of hobbyists to um, folks that are professionally pursuing the hobbyists are definitely higher um, than those who are professionally pursuing um, and so I consider a hobbyist someone who is not actively training um, somebody who is not actively working to better their craft um, somebody who said oh, that looks like fun. I'm going to do that on the weekends um, versus, you know, someone who's really diving in to do the work. Um, and I think because even there are some great commercial actors out here who, when it comes to narrative work, I would consider them hobbyists. Um, I would consider their attention to, um, to character development uh, 
lagging. Uh, I, I think because the commercial world and the narrative world are different, right? Like we can all agree on that. Yeah. Um, and and I think that the thing is, people who are are in the commercial market oftentimes feel like, oh, it's going to be so easy to move into narrative because I'm doing the same thing. No, you're not. You're not doing the same thing. Um, acting is maybe the, like the the overall title of what you do, but there are subsects of acting. Um, and I can always tell when I'm watching a commercial actor in narrative because they are still trying to sell me something. They are trying to sell the character. They are trying to sell the objective. And it's just like, can I just sit in it? Just sit in it. Just be it. Just, um, just, just take time to be the medium for the character instead of trying to sell it to us like they're a product. Do you think that they think they're hobbyists, or do no. they? No, no, no. They do not. Um, they do not because they have headshots, um, and headshots does not make you an actor. This um, is this is Nikki's personal question. Go ahead. Because I know it is. I know it is. She has <laughs> she has asked me on this show for yeah. only this question. Everything else has been a ruse, people. I want you to know that it is only. <laughs> this is going to be the only question on the interview. Exactly. It's going to be the only question on the interview. That's it. But I, I think that there are, there are well-meaning people who don't understand the work of it all. Um, acting is work. Uh, art is work. It's, it's work. work. And, um, and I think that oftentimes, you know, in the midst of creating something, a lot of people don't consider the work. They don't consider the work that goes into it to make it good. Um, the work that goes into it to make it um, uh, resonate with folks. And I, I applaud anybody who makes anything because making something from beginning to end is a feat. I don't have to like it, but I applaud you for doing it. Because making something is courageous. It's putting yourself out for the world to critique and to be judged. It's putting yourself and your work out there to be, um, you know, criticized. And so I think that's a courageous act. Um, but I think the difference between people who are pursuing it versus people that are just doing it because they think that it's fun is the pursuers are they're mindful of learning. Like and I know I've said that before, but that's that's what I keep coming back to. If you're not mindful of learning, then I don't think that you're really, really trying to do it. I don't think that you're really taking it seriously. Um and unfortunately, you know what, and I think that, I think there's a more complex question here. I think the question is 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 our is our industry set up to facilitate professionals versus hobbyists? In because, Dallas. Yeah, in Dallas. Because because um, I know people who are going to classes and they are being taught by hobbyists. Okay. Um, they okay. are being taught by people who aren't coaching them to be... Um, to, to really, really understand the craft of acting. Um, 
and I probably got myself in trouble. Lord Jesus. Um, well, you but, didn't name any names. So I, didn't okay. I didn't ask that question. That was, <laughs> he didn't name names, people. I don't, so yeah, don't, I'm not trying to name offended. names. Please mm-hmm. don't be offended. Um, and, and if you follow me, you already know how I feel about this. Um, it's... When I think about Ivana Chubbuck, when I think about Tasha Smith, when I think about Uta Hagen, when I, when I think about those people and what they gave their students, when I think about the tools that they gave them to go on set and succeed, and I look at the landscape of what these actors have, you may have one or two people giving giving actors tools to put in their toolbox. Um, and then you have other people who are, you know, basically uh, they're facilitating street matches. And, you know, everybody's going to be shirts and skins. We're going to get a ball and act. Um, but they're not teaching the skill. They're running my coins, teacher. Listen. It's, they're, they're teaching you how to scrimmage, Ooh, but Lord, nobody's teaching you how to <laughs> do the work. Not on and that. So, if you can't, if you can't dribble, if you can't, if you can't rebound, if you can't do that stuff, see that that's what that's what practice does. That's what coaching does. Coaching says, here is a skill that you will use in the game. We are going to spend most of our time in these doggone um, practices working on our skills, working on our formations, working on how to do the things that are going to make us successful. Then at the end of practice, we're going to scrimmage each other. You have coaches who are running scrimmages from the beginning to the end and there's little skill given and so those people who want more can't become more because their coaches don't give them more and that is the climate of what it what it feels like to be an actor in Dallas. as far mm-hmm. as writing is concerned for people where are the writing groups you have um i think uh, dallas film alliance has an amazing writers group an amazing writers group. And and you have folks who, um, and I'm specifically speaking about um, people of color, uh, who aren't necessarily privy to that, that stuff. And we, we have to become more aware of the things in our community that can get us better. My first writing group was out of L.A. And I thank God, a friend of mine was like, Calvin, um, there's a friend, there are friends of ours and um, or friends of his, and we have this group on GroupMe. Um, you need to get in the group. So uh, I'm going to add you. And I was like blown away because I was like, you write for, oh, you write for, um, for class. <laughs> That's interesting. And I'm talking to you. Oh, you're an HBO fellow. Gotcha. You're right. You work on Netflix shows. Okay. You're you're um you're so and so's assistant. You know, big time showrunner. I'm like, oh, oh. And I got I got in that writers room, and or that writers group, and I shared my first piece of that writers group, and they're like, oh, this is precious. This is really precious. And they gave me notes, notes upon notes upon notes, and every note made me question my work, but never myself. Every note made me question my characters, but never my ability. Um, And it helped me produce better work. But those are not spaces that we currently have in Dallas. We don't have those kinds of spaces where directors are setting each other cuts and we're not just applauding each other for getting over the finish line, but we're saying, this shot is is crap. Um, You know, this transition is choppy. 
the color grade on this is poor. What happened with sound here? It's all oh, you finished the game for you. Let's tag everybody and share, like, comment, and share. Um, but but we're not getting that kind of that the kind of community that you get in Atlanta. Oh no, no, I'm sorry, it's just, <laughs> your no, face I'm listening. I'm listening, but <laughs> I'm also no. I agree. I totally agree because um and and I'm guessing you said you're talking specifically about people of color, black people. Mm-hmm. Those spaces don't exist for us because I had to step outside of those spaces Same. and then be able to grow. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So Same. it's like I was telling Nikki, like, I mean, living in New York City, you are exposed to totally different people. So I'm a part of an artist salon that I was um, an initial member for years ago. And then I came back since we're all online and people are telling me, yeah, you know, I just I'm a part of BAFTA. I'm a part of, you know, the Academy Award. My show just got picked up from, you know, this place. And, you know, uh, Sony is doing my film here. And so not that you have to go to New York, but like, I think a lot of black actors and artists here in Dallas need to step outside of the black space. They do. And, and find those professionals that are going to be honest, that have honed in on their craft, that are still working on their craft. So I'm, you know, I'm just sitting back like, mm, somebody else feels this way. Now, I didn't ask this question, but, yeah. um, but it's but true. It is. And, but the thing about it is now is we are, we ha- there are no more excuses because of the war- the space we're living in right now. Mm-hmm. And everybody's offering any, everything online so you can go outside of dallas to do you know find classes to find groups to find anything that you need so there the the excuses are gone the excuses are limited i mean excuses are they are gone and i mean and and this is this is something i think people have to understand and and when i'm saying this i say with the, the, the you know the 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 most um best heart I know some I know some storytellers in Dallas who are incredible um Brian C Conley is amazing I live for Brian's work um Zuriza Austin incredible um she uh she lives in Arlington she won American Black Film Festival screenplay competition three years ago there's another lady who was second runner-up at ABFF. She lives in Arlington. Um, Brandon Lewis and Sakita Taylor. Uh, there are incredible Black artists in Dallas. There really are. There's some, so I'm not saying that, you know, the, the, the culture here is trash. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we don't get exposure to the training and the kind of community that you get in other places. Um, and I think that if we want to build up the kind of quality work um, that we say we want, then we have to look at what we're doing. We have to we have to figure out, you know, where where is the black ground? Where is the groundlings for black actors in Dallas? You know, where 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 is that um, that collective? 
of filmmakers that can be trustworthy um, and that have uh, an openness and an honesty enough to critique other people's work without, you know, being offended if somebody says, this doesn't work for me. You know, where, where are those artists whose curiosity is bigger than their ego? Like th those are the kinds of things that we have to investigate if we want Dallas to become this, you know, thing that we want it to be. Because I keep hearing people say, I'm going to put it on the map. I'm going to put it on the map. You know what? There is probably not a store in the world where Dallas is not on the map. Dallas is on the map. People know where Dallas is. Nobody has a question about that. But what you have to ask yourself is when people come to Dallas, because it already is on the map, what are they going to find here? What, what, what kind of community are they going to find? If they give you an opportunity, how, how will they fare here? And you have people um, like uh, Solomon Onita. He just won the John Singleton um, Award at ABFF for um, best feature film by a um, for best first feature film. And that was shot. Uh, that was shot locally with a lot of amazing local talent. Uh, you had Joshua Reed and Daryl Embry, uh, Lynn Andrews. Kelvin Griffin, Kelvin Griffin, even though he's in, um, in L.A. now, a lot of amazing actors. To Tasmanian yeah. Devil. Mm -hmm. Yep, Kanisha was in it. Um, a good friend of me and Nikki. She, and, and, and it was a beautiful, beautiful film, beautifully shot film. And they also had money. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the fact that when you look at Dallas independent films from black people, it does feel like they were funded for a quarter. Period. Period. And and I say that because I have some some things that look like I, that was actually um, funded by a wooden nickel. So I mean, I, I I'll shave my own dollar work. I understand that the work that I have isn't as you know polished as I'd like it to be. But what it comes what it comes down to is we need people who are talking about the film industry in Dallas to show up not only to the premieres but show up in your pocketbooks. Mm. Write those checks yeah. in Jesus' name. When you yeah. see an Indiegogo or a, a GoFundMe or a, a, um, a Kickstarter or a Patreon, don't roll your eyes and say, oh, they're just asking for more money. You can't ask for an artistic community if you're not willing to give to it. You can't ask for quality if you're not willing to pay for it. We don't need your supports and shares and likes and tags only. We need you to reach deep down in that sanctified pocketbook and write us a check that will not bounce. Amen. Amen. But you know what? I feel, okay, and this is just the way I am, because mm -hmm. what what you said is exactly why I went to grad school. I was like, as a black woman, as this deep melanated woman, mm -hmm. I have to write my own roles. Mm -hmm. So my whole thing has always been Tyler Perry, my way into this industry. I'm a right. I mean, with, you know, right now he's a billionaire, so nobody's going to say nothing. But, Nobody is. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Tyler. Love you. Um, but, but my work and my perspective is very different. Yeah. But I think that with what we're saying and all this is going into the bonus because I don't want anybody to talk to me about nothing. Um, <laughs> I think that the people on this podcast are probably the beginning of what needs to change the landscape in Dallas. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here, but for the time that I am here, I think 
raising the stakes and raising the quality here because Dallas does have it. Yeah. It does. It does have it. And even with like with Nikki, um, it's not to toot my own horn, but I'm going to toot it a little bit. Toot it up. Um, I was like, you know what? We need a space, first of all, where we center Black artists of every kind. Mm-hmm. And we need a space that we talk about this journey of turning this gift into a full living, into being yeah. able to say, I do this for a living, not I have this other job and I do th-. like because everybody's journey is so different and we need to yeah. hear these stories. We need to encourage people. And I was like, let's do it. It took a minute. It took a minute. Um, <laughs> but, and I had no idea what the heck I was doing. Cause I'm not a podcaster, but now I am. Um, but I was like, you know what? Now yeah, I am. And I'm like, I've been a producer for ABC. I've been a producer for Sundance. Why not? Oh, Why not? Yeah. So I can, we can transfer skills. And so I think that as you were talking about, and you're very, very right. Um, I do see a lot of people who are hobbyists, but I'm just like, hey, do your thing. If you want to ask mm-hmm. me for my opinion now, I will be honest and you might not yeah. like it. But I think creating that landscape starts on this little um, podcast right here. I agree. And can I say to, to all those who are hobbyists, this this is not judgment. This isn't. Yes, I is. think that this is oh, not judgment from Nikki. It's not judgment, but it, it is because you you have people who um, community theaters are so essential to art. I don't care what you say. Like in those people, those community theaters, they have other jobs. Most most of the time, they're not full time actors. Most of the time, they're people in the community who it's free. <laughs> A lot of community theaters aren't paying their actors. Trust me, it's not equity, honey. We are coming out, you know, after our, our long days at work, to you know, pull out those jazz hands and relive those dreams um, and give you entertainment and give you art. Um. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it's if you want to say that you are professionally pursuing a career, then you have to raise the stakes for yourself, mm-hmm. raise the stakes for your training. And you can't be offended if, if what you're showing us, not in work, because I know some actors who are professionally pursuing who aren't that great. I'm going to be honest with you. We, we've seen movies. I'm not, I'm not even talking about locally. We've seen movies, like big studio movies. And it's just like, oh, you got cast. <laughs> You're here. Like, this is, we're not watching an audition. This is really the film. And they put you in it. Um, and, and, and we've all seen those performances. It's like, this is not good. Um, and so it has nothing to do with raw potential or raw ability. What it, what it does have to do with is it is discipline, acting and, and creating and directing and writing. These are disciplines. Mm-hmm. And if you are not disciplining yourself to further your craft, to learn about your craft, to really engage in meaningful ways with the artistic community, then you are a hobbyist. And so it's, it's not that that term isn't shady. That term isn't saying that, you know, you're just a bad actor. That, that term is saying you are not applying discipline to your craft. 
which means you pop in when you want to, you pop out when you want to, you don't take it that seriously. It's just a cool thing to do. And and that and that was my point. So no, you said that so so much better than I probably would have because you know I sometimes I just don't say things. Sometimes you're shady. Um, (laughs) (laughs) See, Calvin is agree. So I yeah. So Calvin is right. It's basically those who who say that they're professionals but do not do the work um, to be what they say that they are. And, and that to me is what I, I say is a hobbyist. And yeah. just aside, uh, an aside, I do notice that in Dallas, um, it is a very different environment in that people are not sharing with other people. Like people see each other as a uh, competition. Cause I met Nikki uh, a little over a year ago and I don't know this landscape as well. Like I spent almost 10 years in New York City. I have a good, great network there. Mm -hmm. If I need to know where to go study, if I need to know casting, like I know that here, Mm -hmm. I don't know as well, but it's hidden. And so I I met Nikki. I was like, okay, she's SAG. I don't know if I want to be SAG in Dallas, but I think this is someone to know. And I told her, I mean, I didn't say I'm going to use you, but I'm like, I'm going to, (laughs) I was like, I'm going to ask you questions. (laughs) But I'm like, I'm going to ask you questions about this landscape because I don't know this landscape as well because I left when I was 17. So it was just like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I was a thespian Mm -hmm. in high school, but that's very different. And so I feel like here people don't share and you and you're not sharing roles you're not sharing classes you're not you share when you get it because yeah. you feel like someone else is going to take your spot and for me oh, i'm like no i want to share because first of all you're not my competition i'm my competition and what i get is what i get <laughs> like yeah. what you get is for you and what you get but and I so I'm so with you. I'm a sharer as well. Like my my filmmaker friends know when I see like grants and stuff like, oh my gosh, apply! <laughs> you should definitely apply. You should do this um, because I I like like you said, you know what what's for you is for you. But I think everybody wins when somebody wins. Um, and even if you don't take me with you. Right, because I've had that happen before too. It's just like, oh my God, we're all going to go up to get, and the balloon is going away. And I thought that I had the strength of the balloon in my hand. I was going up with you, but we're not. Um, but you point people back here, right? Like when they say, "Oh, so where are you from? Dallas, Dallas." Hmm. Never thought about that. Um, the main, uh, the tick from Lovecraft Country. He's from the DFW area. Marci Martin. DFW. Yep. Um, Jill Marie Jones. DFW. You know, those are those Nikki are DFW. Nikki Dixon. DFW. What what? Um, like, but the, those are people who are they're 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 amplifying black talent here. And so, if you can get somewhere and make some noise, then you give you know our community credibility. And so, I would much rather have. If I can't go in, I'd love for somebody who I know is credible to make some noise, to give us credibility. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're starving out here. 
Like, let's be really honest. We are starving for work. Um, and I'm not an actor anymore, thank God. Uh, but I, I see, I see the, the work that comes out of here. And I think that first, I want to say that not all the work is my taste, but I respect everybody's stuff because you made it, right? But I see maybe hmm, one or two films a couple a year that I'm like, if I was an actor and I read that breakdown, I would I would have auditioned for that role. But it's literally only one or two. Um, I'm, I was a kid who watched IFC when I was 15, 16, 17. So I was the, the black guy who was crying, you know, tears, watching the independent film channel um, and watching foreign movies. And I don't get to, I don't see those, you know, really small, quiet art house films with black folks in them in Dallas. I don't see it. Um, and that's the kind of work that I want to make. I want to make that kind of stuff. And so if you have people who are like me, who, you know, want very specific work and, you know, they're only maybe one or two breakdowns a year coming out for that kind of work, it's just like, okay. So I want everybody to win after I win this. But this is going to this is gonna be my role because they're, they're, they're starved. Um, and, and that's why I think it's so important for what you're saying. You, at, at this point in anywhere, but specifically places like Dallas and Houston and um, like New Orleans, like, you know, places that have film communities, but they are like these thriving hubs. They aren't New York. They're not um, Chicago. They're not uh, uh, Toronto. Like, you know, they're not those places. You know, you're having, you have to find actors and writers and directors who you can come into community with or else you are, you're hoarding information. Like I have friends who I, um, a good friend of mine, um, Jasmine Gammon, we are like blood, <coughs> blood um, bosom buddies at this point. It's just like, if we work, we're working together. <laughs> and she drags me on projects and I drag on projects because we, we, we get that the work that we we're doing is so specific that sometimes it's hard. It's like, okay, hey, that's interesting. You need a director? You need an assistant director? You need a writer? My friend Calvin. Come on, Calvin's going with me. Um, and uh, we did a horror film like last month and a half ago. Um, and I came on as director and uh, you saw Jasmine. <laughs> and like that, that's, but, but we, we had to learn how to create those, those communities. Mm-hmm. It's the same way with Nikki. Um, like, a month ago, even though things happened, Chad, uh, it was like, okay, so this guy wants to meet you for the role. I'm going to give you this information. Da, 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 da. And I, I, I have friends who I, I pitch to people. I send demo reels to people. I send demo reels to producers all the time of my actor friends. Because again, I understand it's hard. 
right? It's hard to do what actors do specifically, um, but it's also hard for directors to kind of get the, the kind of films that I want. It's, it's very, very hard for somebody to say, yes, we would like you with the Afro to come and tell a quiet story about drug addiction. Come on over. You know, you can handle this material. Yes, we, we do want you to talk about, you know, um, separation anxiety. And it's like, you know, do you want to do the um, um, baby boy part two, sagging pants and Tim's? No, I don't. I don't want to do that story. I want to do this. And so when we get opportunities, oftentimes we're not sharing because the opportunity is so limited here. Um, whereas in other places, uh, you know, in, in L.A., opportunity isn't bustling, um, but it's definitely much better than you know than Dallas, and so you have people that are they're, they're starving for for opportunity, so they often don't share. Um, and I think a lot of that comes with insecurity, um, and I think a lot of that insecurity comes not with the ability to believe in oneself, but they've not had an opportunity to prove their gift. Mm. See, whenever whenever you get cast in something, you have an opportunity to prove your gift. You have an opportunity to test the waters and really see what you can do. Um, and because there's such a limited amount of really quality work out here, it's just like every time I'm trying to find something that will let me use the fullness of my instrument. Mm -hmm. um, and that's so rare. I'm sorry, that was a long-winded answer. Sorry about that. <laughs> that, is, that is okay. So we are going to um, ask you how we can support you. And then we're going to also ask the question that we're going to ask every guest. If you can um, give broke advice, some gifted advice and black advice to our, mm -hmm. um, to our listeners. So we're going to start with the broke gifted and black advice, and then you can let us know how we can support you. Um, and anything you're doing that's coming up. Okay. Cool. So the broke advice, I read this in the email. Hold on one second. Okay. Hold on. I'm sorry. So what's the broke advice with like, how not to be broke? I don't know. I, I, I vote for prostitution. <laughs> broke advice can be anything. My broke advice was uh, surrounded. Uh, it was mostly about food. Like fill out those surveys at the bottom Listen, for a free sandwich. Uh, Groupon is your friend. You know. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, um, it, it could be don't prostitute yourself. That could be your broke advice. I don't know if I believe that or not, though. Um, <laughs> uh, so my broke advice, I have two things, okay? So cook at home, buy groceries, cook at home, don't eat out, because all the money that you're spending on, you know, other people to make your food, you could be saving to make your thing. You could be saving that, you know, extra $25 for um, that, you know, frozen meat. Uh, and you could be making your thing. You could be saving it up to copyright something or, uh, you know, pay your, your SAG dues. Like you could, you could be using your money better for your thing. Also, find people who are like-minded, who, um, who you can barter with. Um, I think like maybe at this point I've done 
around 14 short films over the last 10 years. Uh, and most of those films were free. It was finding like a cinematographer was like, I'll write something for you if you can shoot this for me. Um, you know, an actor, hey, I'll write you a monologue for your next audition. You can come on set for me. You know, I'll feed you really well. Like figuring out what you have to give, like what um, what value you bring to people uh, and being able to uh, to use that value for your advantage in order to barter efficiently for things that you need to make your thing. Cook your food and barter. Love it. Um, gifted advice. Gifted advice. Give me the prompt. So what what is my gift thing? Um, anything to do with the gift. So I mean, I think oh, you gave mm-hmm. some great gifted advice as in um you need to be studying. Like you need study. <laughs> yes, please study, study, study. Study, 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 and read, read, read. If you are a director, you should be reading scripts. Um, you should be breaking down scripts. Um, you should be considering how you would shoot things and then watch what you just read and see how they did it. Um, like that sharpens your approach. That helps you define your your voice. If you're an actor and you're not reading scripts, then you suck. Like there's no reason why you shouldn't be reading scripts. There's no reason you shouldn't be you know, practicing monologues, practicing beats, you know, playing around with inflection. Um, it doesn't have to be anything extensive every day as an actor. Um, I told a good friend of mine this whenever she was kind of starting her journey. Wake up every day and find a line to say and figure out how many ways you can say the line. Put the beat here. Put the inflection here. Stress this. How about this tempo? What does it feel like when I say and when I say this line with this kind of posture? You know, how can I get my body involved? What does my movement do when I say this? Like, it's simple stuff that you can do, but it's studying. It's being engaged. Um, but it's also empowering yourself to know that your gift is valuable. Um, like that's one of the biggest things on my journey that I can say uh, that I wish I knew to do earlier. Like I think we all know to do it. Like you know, internal. Like you know, you should tell yourself that you're that you can do it. But um, in your journey, you're going to have to constantly remind yourself that you can do it. Um, you're gonna have to like constantly uh, have people around who give you a good quick in the, uh, a swift kick in the butt that says, "Why are you tripping? You can do it." Uh, so, study, engage, but also surround yourself with people who um, who are able to who are able to uh, build your confidence, but not stroke your ego. Okay. And your black advice. Uh, my black advice. I think that it's important that we are we are doing research for ourselves as black folks. 
Um, I think a lot of the things that we are getting um, are coming from lenses that are not ours. Um, they're coming from lenses that are trying to provoke us um, or manipulate us to feel one way or the other, whether they be conservative or liberal. I think that everybody has a stake in the well-being of Black people. Um, and I think that everybody is trying to exploit um, the fears um, of Black people, whether it be uh, whether it be conservative-leaning folks who are saying, you know, if you don't vote conservative, then you are crippling your ability to move up the food chain organically and, you know, to get those imaginary bootstraps and pull yourself up and be the entrepreneur that you are called to be because the government is going to restrict your ability to move freely. Or, um, you know, liberal people who are given the whole, well, all conservatives are racist and uh, uh, you, you just can't trust any conservative. And they, they're all trying to manipulate our um, our ability to think for ourselves. Um, and I, I think that we as Black folks have to, to do our own investigative research. I think that we have to be able to hear each other out. I think the weirdest thing is we have so many people, especially in this moment, we're talking about Black voices and we're saying we're not a monolith. We're not all the same. But if you see a Black conservative in the street, they're a traitor. How dare you be conservative? How dare you? So, now, you, you just said, that we're not all monolithic. We're not all the same people. You can't crucify somebody who is not like you and then and then boast that we're all different. We have to find a way to appreciate each other's differences and have civil conversations about those differences, just like our ancestors did, just no. like Stokely Carmichael did, no. just like Malcolm and Martin and Medgar and know Angela. They had, but okay, so 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 okay, so we've kept you for a really long time, but we're gonna ask one more question after this. But, <laughs> but I th I I agree. But I also think, and 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 I said this before, we difference of opinion is not like racism is okay. That's not yeah. a difference of opinion. No, that, that's not a difference of opinion. And so, and so, I think sometimes when people are like, "Well, you're not accepting my point of view," and so you think I have to think like you, it's like you thinking like me is. I think we can disagree and still be civil of like, okay, I think we should raise taxes. Okay, I think we should tax Social Security, even though I think logically, logistically, that is stupid. Um, but a difference of opinion is no longer like, okay, I don't think Black Lives Matter. No, that's not yeah. a difference of opinion. You're no. just evil. Now, I agree with that. I agree with that. But I, I think that I think also we have to get away from the broad strike, the broad strokes that we paint each other with. Because when you think black conservatism is like, oh, my God, they don't believe that black people matter. I'm not saying you, but oftentimes right. people think, oh, black conservatism, Candace Owens. No, they think, you know, that, that black <laughs> folks don't well, okay. matter. Oh, we're I not, don't we're, know we're, about we're not, her. We're I don't not, know about her. Not, 
Now, I'm not defending Candace, but I, I'm not defending Candace. What, what I am saying is when you th- when people say Black conservatism, they automatically go to a Candace Owens. They automatically automatically think that that is Black conservatism versus the idea of conservatism, the idea of being fiscally conservative. Like, you know, the, the, those kinds of ideas, they, they automatically go to the extreme. And, and just like, con- go ahead. I don't think people have a problem with physical, 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 physical. conservatism, but I, I, I think I think you can be fiscally conservative and, I guess, socially liberal. Um, I, no, I agree. I agree completely. That doesn't work. This is a totally different conversation. And this I'm is sorry. Be, no, I'm no, so no, sorry. but no, but it's it's totally it's totally fine. It's totally fine. No, it's it's. I do think check, that, do your research. I, I yeah, do agree. Do do your research. Do your research and be open to having conversations. I think James Baldwin said it best. As long as what you believe does not, you know, dismiss my being, doesn't dismiss my 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 um my validity in existing, then we can have a conversation. Now when you when you get over into the idea of me not being able to exist, me not being able to, you know, uh exercise my uh, my constitutional rights, now we have problems. Um, but I, I do believe that, that we're going to have to get to a point if we want to really see Black liberation where um, the divide between parties as long as it's you know, as it's based on, you know, ideology, not necessarily um, regarding uh, racism, but like, you know, again, fiscal conservatism, all that kind of stuff. I, I think that we can find ways to do it together, um, but I, I don't believe that we're going to really get to a point of Black liberation um, until we, we stop hitting ourselves so much against each other, I think there's a way to work in the middle. I think that there are extremists on both sides. Um, like for real, like there, there are folks who just have everybody on both sides. But we, we have to find middle ground um, as best we can. So do your research. Calvin and I are going to have a conversation off topic, off uh, microphone. Offline? Yes, we okay. are. Um, okay, so how can we support and don't, you? And don't call me Trump for the both sides comments, guys. No, 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 no. Don't no, I am Trump. someone who does. <laughs> no, no, no. In the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I believe in research. Um, that That is part of who I am. So how can we support you? Sure. Um, please, uh, I'm on Instagram at Calvin J. Walker. Um, I'm on Facebook at Calvin J. Walker. I'm pretty simple. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Watchmen Media. Uh, just, you know, if you could just give me a, a, if you could subscribe to my Instagram channel. Well, Instagram, I'm so old. My Instagram channel, my, my little page, my little IG page. Uh, where, <laughs> that's it. That's what the young people say. You gotta follow follow me at the IG, Um, and and just look out for um for the things that um that I'm doing. Uh, We have some really cool things happening. Um, One one of the the members of this podcast and I did a film together that is on the uh, the festival circuit right now. Called the first time after, uh, so um, we're playing a lot of virtual fests. We'd love for you guys to um, 
to check those out, we actually have a festival. Um, we have a festival thing on Friday the fifth or the fourth, whatever this is. I'm sure that the it won't come out before the thing. But yes, we have something on the Friday. Um, and it's I have, coming out on the same day. Oh, bad, bad, bad. Okay, well, so today, go watch it today. Um, <laughs> I have two more, um, two more films that are on the festival circuit right now as well. So I have three in total um, circulating right now. Uh, and I have uh, one, well, no, two more coming out next year. Um, and so I have a very exciting person joining one of my uh, my new projects. Um and it's, I can't say much of anything, but I am so excited. So just follow us on IG and um, and please share when whenever you see we're posting things. I'm not sure why I'm saying we because it's just me. Um, but whenever we're posting things, please share them and uh, and help us to to amplify the work. Um. Well, thank you so much, Calvin. Um, this has been a great conversation. There's so much more that we're going to talk about. And, and now I'm going to get to know you too. Now that I've met you through um, this podcast. Um, so just, we've kept you on for like almost an hour and a half. So we're just going to ask one more question and let you go. Okay. So do you want to talk racial unrest? That is very, we, you know what? Sure. Um, or do we want to talk about I the August? I want, August. To talk about kids. I, want to, I want to talk about the kids, the husband and the kids. How do you juggle like everything that you're trying to do with a family? Oh, um, I don't know yet. Uh, I, I really don't know. I've been doing it for, um, for the last 13 years, well, no, 12 years. Um, it's it's a balancing act. It is. Um, I have a very supportive wife. Thank God. Um, she's also an artist. Uh, she's a singer and she makes jewelry. And so we. She understands <clears throat> in that way a lot of times. Um, and we've been together for so long that now she gets kind of how I work. I'm an introvert and she is not. So I'm just like, hey, I work better when nobody's around me. And when things are quiet, she's like, I work better when it's loud and people are here. I'm getting all my energy. It's like, please go away. But I love you. Um, and so just I, I wake up earlier a lot of times or um, I'll work whenever my kids are asleep um, or I will con them with Burger King um, when I need to to do work. <laughs> and so it's for me, my children are the center of the universe. Mm. And I think everybody knows that they are the center of the universe. Um, and I have kids that are very supportive of what daddy does. Um, I have kids who go to their friends and say, you can Google my daddy. And they, yeah. they'll Google my name, Calvin J. Walker, American film director. See, that's my dad. And they, oh. they are so proud um, of, of what I'm trying to accomplish. So uh, that, that helps whenever um, I need to do certain things. But a lot of it is just, you know, it's, it's figuring out when people don't need me and try my best to work at that time and then conning people. Lots of conning, lots of gifts, Burger King, flowers, and cheesecake. Okay. 
Okay. Um, well, he cons his children, people. No, I'm kidding. I sure uh, do. It's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Um, <laughs> do you want to briefly touch on the, the, the question is with the current climate in America and racial unrest, is there anything that you're currently working on that will speak to what's going on? Okay, cool beans. Uh, so nothing about unrest right now. Um, I did something this summer, I did a Zoom short this summer called Phoenix, um, and it, it touched on race, it touched on um, the pandemic and how it affects folks who are incarcerated and, um, and the families of those who are incarcerated. Um, and so that's at um, IGTV and YouTube. Um, but you know, my next couple of things are um, I have one about incarceration, another one about incarceration. I'm very, very big on talking about the lives of formerly incarcerated individuals um, in our justice system. Uh, and I have a, uh, a web series pilot that we're working on that's comedic. I'm not a funny person, so we're not sure how that's going to go, um, but we'll see. Uh, but <laughs> nothing, um, nothing centering too much on race right now. I had a, a feature that I've been working on for a couple of years um, that centers Black mental health. Um, and I think that that's a part of race that we don't talk a whole lot about. Um, yeah. I think yeah. a, lot of, a lot of the racial, to me, when you talk about race in America, if you're not talking about intergenerational trauma, and you're not talking about um, PTSD within Black folks, then you're missing it. If if you don't if you don't have those conversations in the midst of oh you know they're the worst offenders and so on and so forth. Oh okay, well let's have a conversation um, about policing. Let's have a conversation um, about. Poverty. Let's have a conversation about redlining, and and you know black women are the they have the highest abortion rates. Oh, well, let's talk about violence against women, and let's see who is the main um, uh, the main person being violated. It's black women. Let's have that discussion. Let's talk about how the people, and you probably can just edit this part out because I'm, I'm going to get all of us in trouble. The folks who are at the top of the stack for um for uh, Violence against some of the predators, are, as far as predators are as far as predators are concerned, are white men. Mm. Let's have that conversation. And so I think having a conversation about racial unrest takes a lot of different um, a, lot, a lot of different approaches. Uh, I don't. I'm not approaching it as directly anymore. I think that I, I'm trying to approach things. Um, about the systems of racism, because I don't want to see another police movie. Like God bless, God bless the hearts of those who do police movies and who do protest movies. Like I'm sure all of that is necessary and needed, but like I think we need to have conversations around the systems of oppression that keep making us need police movies, keep making us need protest movies. There are systems that have to be dismantled, and and that's I'm trying to do work that talks about those systems directly versus talking about our reaction to those systems. And that's on that. Um, <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming, Calvin. You have given so much of yourself and we really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Um, and that was our interview with Calvin on Broke, Gifted, and Black. Thank Yay! You. Yay! <laughs> 
Ave Maria, gratia plena, Maria gratia plena, Maria gratia plena, Ave, Ave Dominus, Dominus tecum, Benedictum tu in mulieribus, et Benedictus, Benedictus frutus ventris, ventris tu, Jesus, Ave Maria, Yeah.